Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, January 3rd. The 2023 WTA and ATP seasons continue to get off to a thunderous start, making it quite clear what the ethos of the professional tennis world remains. No chasers, straight shots, so much fantastic tennis for me to discuss here on today's show, of course. To kick off the season, we've got five events. We're monitoring throughout the week here on the Mini Break podcast feed for tour-level tournaments. Of course, United Cup action happening throughout the week as well. I do want to dive headfirst into some of the draws we have this week on the ATP and WTA Tour. We've got the joint event happening in Adelaide, the WTA additional action in Auckland for the ATP, their other event happening in India. And of course, it's always worth a disclaimer. You only read so much into not just the first two weeks, but really the first month and a half of any professional tennis season. I always say I value the extreme at the start of a year more than anything else. If someone puts together an extraordinarily exceptional run, whether it be two weeks, three weeks, of course, you put together a six-week run, you're going to have everyone's attention. I also will notice the players who get off to particularly slow starts. You go one in five or two in six throughout the course of those opening months. You don't make a quarterfinal run as a top player. That's the sort of struggle I suppose all of us take notice of of early in the year. That said, other than that, you don't have that big a sample size of data to turn to, and every thought, to some extent, is a half-baked thought. And as such, I have plenty more half-baked thoughts for all of you listeners today. I want to recap the past 24 hours of tennis across the ATP and WTA tours. And before I do that, just a quick disclaimer on the schedule, as some of you were kind enough to inquire about it on social media. I mentioned this yesterday. Yesterday, I am fortunate to be on the call at Tennis Channel Studios in Santa Monica. If you are monitoring the action on T2, you will hear my voice throughout the course of the evening. Such a pleasure for me to have the opportunity today to call the second half of Sabalenka Samsonova, to call the entirety of Sviantek and Trevisan, to get to have that Medvedev. Kasmanovich match pop in on our feed as well. Of course, we kept an eye on Madison Keys on Cam Nori as well. I got plenty of thoughts on the past 24 hours of tennis, but I know the schedule may be somewhat inconsistent for you listeners. Certainly, if you, like me, are based in the United States, everything's half a day off, right? Technically, I'm recording this podcast on Tuesday. I'll be talking about some results that in Australia happened on Wednesday, and so it's not the most concise timing. I'm also posting these podcasts past 11 p.m. Pacific, which is past 2 a.m. East Coast, which is East Coast is how you say that word in English. Leave it in, and I say leave it in because I don't want to make the life of super producer Daniel Westoff too difficult here in the opening week. I will be dating the podcasts on the day prior to them 
prior probably, excuse me, coming out. I'll be saying again Tuesday, January 3rd, but all of you listeners will be hearing this on Wednesday, January 4th. That said, schedule, nomenclature out of the way. It will obviously be early morning releases, East Coast time of these mini break podcasts, and they will cover the prior 24 hours in the tennis world. With that said, again, thoughts on Adelaide, Auckland, India United Cup, the plan for all of you listeners here on today's show. I do plan on having a guest later on this week as well, so hopefully all of you listeners will continue to tune in. And then my promise to all of you, we're going to have weekend podcasts here at least this week on the Mini Break Podcast feed. If I'm going to have the opportunity to broadcast these matches, to watch them from start to finish, which I don't watch a lot of matches from start to finish. I try to watch about 15 minutes of every match, but to be able to actually monitor the rhythm of any match that happens. For instance, I have a lot of more thoughts on Shiantek Trevisan than that match probably warrants because I did get to watch it for start from start to finish. And, you know, I like to share those insights with all of you listeners. So because I hope to have a plethora of insights for all of you, because I know these podcasts get posted late at night from my time early in the morning, I suppose, for all of you, um, I know I'm a day behind and therefore Saturday will be covering Friday's action. And then we made it to Saturday. Might as well cover Sunday as well. So that's the schedule for all of you listeners. Just wanted to give you a quick update on that. Of course, we're also previewing our top 10 teams entering the 2023 Division I college tennis season. You can find all of those episodes over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Plenty of fun player interviews over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed as well. So if you're bored or if you're just ready to dive headfirst into the 2023 professional or college tennis world, be sure to check out all of our content at the Re- Recently renovated CrackedRackets.com. Shout out to the work of super producer Daniel Westoff. The website looks exceptional, of course. Before I dive into the tennis, the other thing I have to mention to all of you listeners is the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. I'll keep it brief. Tennis-Point.com. Everything you could look for from an equipment standpoint you'd want to look for, they have on their website. You use our promo code CR15, 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, Tennis-Point, simple, not the spelling, Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's talk tennis here on today's mini break podcast. As I alluded to, I had the opportunity to broadcast some of these matches, watch them from start to finish. I want to start today's tennis analysis with my thoughts on one of those matches in particular. Boy, some things never change for Arena Sabalenka. As Sabalenka earning what was just can best be described as a confounding 7-6-7-6 victory over Ludmilla Samsonova. I don't care what the season is. It could be 2021 Sabalenka matches. It can be 2023 Sabalenka matches. God willing, we'll get to see these sorts of matches in 2028, 2032. You just never know what's going to happen when Arena Sabalenka steps on the court. And certainly when she was down 5-1 in the opening set, down seven set points in that opening set, a bunch of them happening in the first set breaker, it felt like Sabalenka was going to fall a bit short, that she had dug herself 
himself too big of a hole once again and that the power tennis of Ludmilla Samsonova, that consistent plus one pop was just the most reliable weapon on the court through the course of that first set, disrupted the rhythm of Arena Sabalenka. But then Sabalenka did what she does best. She just continues to be able to muck things up and she continues to be able to play on her terms. And there are times when watching her play on her terms generates just disgusting tennis for those of us as viewers. And when I say disgusting tennis, I don't mean I dislike the experience. I mean, it's broken tennis. That's probably the better word to describe it. You're not going to get a lot of rhythm when you face Arena Sabalenka. It is a very simple mindset. See ball, hit ball big. And the reason she's able to have the success that she has is Simply put, she is in that upper percentile, that elite tier of power-generating players. She's one of the founding members who we talk about so frequently as a member of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. Is that the first Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club of the new year dropped? It might just be, and it's natural that it comes in a matchup between Sabalenka and Samsonova, a match that, again— There was a 5-1 lead, obviously, for Samsonova that was overcome by Sabalenka. That first set was broken tennis. There's only two breaks of serve, one by each player in the second set, and I do think it was a traditional power tennis second set of tennis in that not a lot of 10-plus shot rallies, a lot of big first serve, big first strikes. The key difference in this match was Arena Sabalenka's ability to find success on the second serve. You look in the match, Sabalenka winning 17 of 28 second serve points, Samsonova 16 of 35. You also hear there, Samsonova had to play more points behind her second serve as Sabalenka makes 71% of her first serves in this match, Samsonova at, a, you know, it's still solid 59.3%. And certainly, again, the most reliable weapon. When Ludmilla Samsonova landed a first serve, she won those first serve points 71% of the time. Sabalenka at just 62%. The biggest issue for me from this match was that Samsonova allowed it to be played at Sabalenka's speed. It was broken tennis in the Sabalenka service games. And again, seven set point opportunities for Samsonova in the first set on, I believe, four of them. She ultimately just missed returns long. I just don't understand why Ludmilla Samsonova has to go so big on the return of serve. Now, certainly throughout the course of the rally, it is the power tennis she's able to generate, how fluid the backhand is, how explosive the forehand is. It's a heavy topspin forehand, not just the line drive elite power tennis we see from so many top WTA talents, but I actually thought What made Samsonova successful throughout the course of those first six games was her ability to play off speed, her ability to lengthen rallies and hit the three-quarters ball with good precision and force Sabalenka into the outer thirds. She kind of went away from that after she built that big opening first set lead, and it just felt like so many opportunities, whether it was 15-30s or even 30-alls in games, they ended with missed Ludmilla Samsonova returns. And obviously, you got to give some credit to Sabalenka, 11 aces on the day, only six double faults in comparison to those 11 aces. And again, for someone who hit over 400 double faults last season, six feels like a much better number considering how many first serves she put into play in this match. That said, you know, again, I know Sabalenka's first serve can disrupt the rhythm of everyone. She hits it that big, that heavy. But Samsonova foundationally 
has the skill set. And again, these are half-baked thoughts. Foundationally, she has the skill set to be better than the numbers indicate. You look for Ludmilla Samsonova, who, of course, finished second on the WTA Tour, holding serve 79.8% of the time. She finished 39th in break percentage, 31.4%. Average top 50 player last year break, broke serve 35.7% of the time. Now, of course, during Samsonova's win streak, what was she? 20-3, and three, I believe, 21-3 and three from August 1st onwards last Last season, she was breaking serve at a higher percentage than 31.5%, and it was against a lot of competition in Cleveland where the weapons weren't top-tier caliber. Obviously, Arena Sabalenka's serve is going to be much better than, say, uh, Sevastova's or, say, the you know Bernarda Perez that Samsonova was dusting during her runs in Cleveland at the City Open. Even Anila Tomjanovic doesn't have the firepower, obviously, of an Arena Sabalenka there's going to be a tactical adjustment. You can just see it coming for Ludmilla Samsonova, who, again, she has a big forehand backswing. It's not that big. I think she's going to get clean rips against 96% of servers in the top 100 on the WTA Tour. Um, the backhand's going to be fluid against anyone. It's just picking the spots slightly better. And she didn't pick her spots well against Arena Sabalenka. And again, glass half full for Sabalenka. You're once again down 5-1. Eight terrible minutes of tennis followed by 20 minutes of just Sabalenka ball. Go big on the plus one. Elite pace down the center of the court until you get the short ball you can attack. I actually thought Sabalenka hit the ball very cleanly. I thought she moved particularly well. She did a much better job handling the pace, the heaviness of the Samsonova ball than so many others. And that speaks to the elite strength, the I think elite uh, athleticism Sabalenka brings match in, match out. And ultimately, again, Sabalenka, talk about a brutal first match of the season. You have to face the heavy pace, shout out to the rhymes, of Ludmilla Samsonova. No shots, excuse me, no chaser, straight shots for Arena Sabalenka, who again, 6-6 six and six win, fights off seven first set points and a 5-1 deficit to advance over Ludmilla Samsonova. Now, things going to remain tricky for Sabalenka. She's going to take on Marketa Vondrusova. And again, these are half-baked thoughts here as it's only been two matches uh, here in 2022, 2023. We're going to get the year right eventually. Leave that in for now, Westoff. I deserve to be shamed for those year mistakes. But how about this for first two matches for Marketa Vondrusova? A three-set win over eighth-seeded Katarina Alexandrova and then an 0-4 win over a top 40 player in the always big-hitting Estonian, Kaya Kanepi. And look, Marketa Vondrusova, when she played last season, was unequivocally a top 15 player by every tennis abstract metric you want to turn to, whether it was serve percentage, hold percentage, she, uh, excuse me, hold percentage, break percentage club. She was a member of the top 15 club. Ultimately, only one player finishes top 15 in hold and break percentage in 2022. It was Iga Sviantek who finished top 10 for what it's worth, but Marketa was a top 20 player according to tennis abstracts elo ratings i believe she got as high as number seven at one point and you know she was a top 15 player according to the yearly elo ratings as well and for what it's worth von drusova 23 and 7 overall last season she ends the year winning at 100k in shrewsbury you know knocked out by alicia parks in the angers 125k event but alicia parks was beating everyone to end the season so they don't really hold that against her and you know, again, you look for Von Drusova, semifinal 
semifinals in Dubai last year, coming through qualifying to get their third round three-set loss to Arena Sabalenka in Australia, three-set loss to Kudamatova in Indian Wells. Then she got injured, and we didn't get to see her until October. That said, you know, we're only three years removed three and a half from Van Drusseva making the 2019 French Open final. And, you know, this is a player who's been ranked as high as 14 in the world. This is a player who, for what it's worth, back in 2021, made the finals of the Tokyo Olympics, beat an inform Osaka, Bedosa, Svitolina before that exceptional three-set match against Bencic. We know the sort of tennis Marketa Van Drusseva is capable of. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think she is the best drop shot of any player, men's or women's, in professional tennis. I think she's the contrast that we need in the WTA Tour. You see so many power tennis players, and that's not Marketa Van Drusseva. She you know, is death by a thousand paper cuts. She plays the angle. She whips you short angle cross court to open up the down the line. She plays the lobs, the drop shots. She'll sneak forward. She'll hit the slice out wide on the serve. She's a lefty. It's a perfect contrast, and she has the athleticism, the movement capabilities to hang with the players who have the big weapons. She has the strength to absorb their power. Two really good wins for her to start this 2023 season over Alexandrova and Kaya Kanepi. Again, here comes Marketa Van Drusseva, who just very quickly has worked her way back up the rankings. Von Drusseva now currently sitting at number 77 final, following her quarterfinal. One more victory over Sabalenka. She'll find herself back in the top 70. Certainly, we know the 23-year-old from the Czech Republic is even more talented than that. That said, you know, again, I'm recording this around midnight Pacific time here, Tuesday night. As such, the results I have that have unfolded thus far over the past 24 hours in Adelaide, Sabalenka, Van Drusseva, big win from Marta Kostyuk, three-set winner over Elena Rabakina. And look, what Kostyuk had to go through last year, you wouldn't wish upon anyone. Obviously, Kostyuk, Ukrainian, to have your homeland under siege, the uncertainty that comes along with that. Imagine trying to manage a young professional tennis career, be 20 years old and have to travel around the world while being so uncertain about what's happening at home. I can't fathom that. It's just impossible to know what that would be like unless you actually go through it. And as such, in that context, 28 and 20 is not a bad year for what Marta Kostyuk accomplished last season, 69 overall in the rankings entering 2023. Impressive wins, straight sets over Buxka, Sheriff, and then a three-set win to kick off her Adelaide experience over Jamie Forlis. Then the three-set win today over Elena Rabakina. Four strong wins for Kostyuk to start the season. She's back into the top 60, up to number 59 with this run, I believe, now to the quarterfinals. And, you know, again, it's only her, I believe, eighth quarterfinal of her career. Maybe it's the seventh, but it's the first for her, or only the second, excuse me, since the start of last season. Yeah, you look overall, tour-level play for Marta Kostya. Quarterfinals now reached. This is her seventh quarterfinal, uh, just her second since the start of 2022, and exactly the start the now 20-year-old needs to. Just remind everyone, from a talent perspective, incredible athlete can play defensive tennis and then can flash elite power as well. Reminds me of an Andrescu sort of athlete and just the elite quick twitchiness and 
everything that comes with it, the creativity to see the angles, but then the unmistakable down-the-line power as well. She's yet to put all the pieces together for an extended run. Four wins to start the season is exactly what she was looking for. Again, Kostyuk advancing over Rabakina in three sets. Not a bad loss for Elena Rabakina, who obviously came through in a tough round number one as well. With that said, I know Kudermatova and Threscu still playing tonight. We'll save that for tomorrow. Should anything remarkable happen, you look at the rest of, I suppose, Monday night, Tuesday morning's results. What was the most notable things? I know I talked a bit yesterday about Jung Chin Wen's win over Annette Conteve. Obviously, the Van Drusseville win over Alexandrova. The two big outliers, I suppose, for me, Vika was hustling in her 6-6 six and six win over Kalanina. I thought Vika looked really good in that 6-6 six and six match because I thought Kalanina played well as well. Um, and it just, there was a fluidity to Vika that I was impressed with. She was able to make that match, two hours, 40 minutes of it, a 6-6 six and six win for, Cal, uh, for Azarenka. She was able to withstand the physicality of someone who I think is an elite defensive player in Angelina Kalanina, who does such a good job of absorbing and redirecting your pace. And Azarenka was just ready for the challenge. She was patient. She was able to, you know, there were some streaks of errors, but they lasted three points, not three games. And ultimately, Azarenka was just the better player. She had more weapons at her disposal than Kalanina and was able to outlast the physicality Kalanina brings to let those weapons prevail. And I just think that's a really strong start to Azarenka's season. So I thought that was worth noting. Shout out Claire Liu, who I predicted would be a top 10 American woman to end this season once again. I think she is going to be a top 50 player. And with her win up to a career high number 56 in the live rankings, still two wins away from a top 50 debut. But I'm telling you, keep an eye on Claire Lou throughout the course of this year. With that said, the last thing I would mention on Adelaide, uh, talk about things never changing, by the way, uh, Yelena Ostapenko, when she looks good, she is still a member of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. It's that house at the end of the neighborhood. Sometimes the lights are on on Halloween, on Christmas. The house goes all in. The decorations out of this world. Sometimes the lights are off and there's a bowl of candy on the front porch and it says, take what you can. And when the candy runs out, the house is done with Halloween. Lights are on for Yelena Ostapenko, at least through one match here in 2023. Ostapenko, it was 20-minute first three, four games of their matchup between her and Karolina Pliskova. But from there, Ostapenko just started rocking and rolling and was, you know, when she leans into the ball, her ability to blast any forehand, any backhand by you at will. I thought Pliskova moved well. I thought Pliskova played well. That one and three scoreline is a bit deceiving and it's just indicative when Ostapenko got hot, there was about a 17-minute stretch in this match where she was just playing untouchable tennis from the baseline, and she still has that gear in her, and, you know, it's always worth remembering, Yelena Ostapenko is probably the oldest young player on the WTA Tour. Yelena Ostapenko is still just 25 years old. Like, doesn't she feel like she's 28, 29, a part of that Madison Keys generation? And, of course, she won her French Open now five years ago, but... 
yeah, Elena Ostapenko is 25 freaking years old and still play, capable of playing that top-tier tennis. And you know, certainly when you look at Adelaide, it feels like top-tier tennis is going to be required to get through this draw. As of right now, the favorite to win is still on Jabir. Jabir, a 24.1% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. After that, it's Sabalenka at 21%. Uh, they don't have the Rabakina loss yet factored into the equation. But so when they do, Azarenka will move up to third place. She'll be somewhere around 13, 14%. Then it's Von Drusova at 8.7%. Again, a testament to how much the advanced statistics like her. And for what it's worth, Sabalenka, 3-2 and two in her career against Von Drusova. So circle that one, folks, as one. If you're going to stay up late for any tennis, that's probably the one to stay up for. With that said, again, those are your thoughts on where things stand in Adelaide. Some really fun matchups. Noskova versus Lou, two qualifiers in the round of 16. Yeah, that's some week one sauce for us on the women's side in Adelaide. With that said, let's stay in Adelaide. But let's switch gears and go to the men's side of things. Always love a joint event at a given site. It just means a plethora of every sort of tennis you're looking for as a tennis fan. And again, we have a joint site in Auckland with the ATP 250 underway there. The big outlier for me, the one I got the chance to see the most of today was Daniil Medvedev. Medvedev, a 6-love, six 6-3 six victory over Mir, Mir Kesmenovic for what it's worth. Medvedev also earned a 7-6-3-1 withdrawal victory over Lorenzo Sanego in what was a really fun first match for the, the now world number eight Russian, at least in the live rankings. And look, Daniil Medvedev looked exceptional in his first two matches of play, in particular against Kesmenovic, the first serve was rolling in. Two big things stand out for me. One, whatever he's doing with his hair right now, it's working. And look, as a man who, well, I don't want to, again, I suppose the big thing is he just looked like it's just good do. He got a good cut this offseason. That would be thing number one. Thing number two is he looks good physically. Like there just looks like a little stronger on the legs, looks a little more fluid, a little more chiseled, if that makes sense. As if, you know, again, he had some time to get healthy after dealing with so many stretches of injuries throughout the course of last year. And, you know, that combination of elite defensive skills with the ability to be 6'6", 6'7", hit the massive 130 mile per hour serve to create the easy plus one freebies for yourself. Daniil Medvedev did all of that. And he got a little lucky because he did face a set point against Sanego in set number one. And Sanego had Two really good looks at forehands. The first one, he pops inside in. Medvedev does his octopus thing, tracks it down, gets a forehand stick on it, sets up another, uh, not easy, but successful forehand opportunity for Sinego, which he overcooks long on the inside in. And, you know, from there, Medvedev pulls away in the breaker. Unfortunately, Sinego gets injured, unable to keep playing. But today, Medvedev brought that same physicality and just was striking the ball extraordinarily cleanly. It feels like the backhand confidence has returned. He's being more aggressive whenever he gets a neutral or inside the baseline forehand look. He continues to confidently move forward. And I mean, he just rocked Kesmanovich today, who had no way to alter the dynamic of the points being played. Everything was on Medvedev's terms. And look, this is a guy who 2020. Yeah, U.S. Open semifinals, 2019 U.S. Open finals against Rafa, 2020. 
what what was the 2020 Australian Open match? I think he played a really good one against Djokovic. Obviously, makes the final of the Australian Open last year. Is famously up two sets to love, two one love forty on Rafael Nadal with a chance to take a two sets to love and break of serve lead. And yeah. It wasn't a great 2022 by Daniil Medvedev's standards, but let's not forget, he reached world number one for the first time last year, and he looked the part through his first two matches against Seneco, against Miamir Kesmenovic, getting slowly better in every set that he played. God willing, we will get the Medvedev-Djokovic semifinal that's projected in this Adelaide draw as of right now. With that said, some other trends from 2022 still alive manifesting themselves in Adelaide. How about Yoshihito Nishioka? Wins against Holger Runa in round number one, then knocks off Mackie McDonald 4-3 and three here in Adelaide on Tuesday night in the States, Wednesday, I suppose, in Australia. You look for Nishioka. He's got a healthy chunk of points to defend to start the season. Nishioka making the final of both January, February Ohio Challengers last year in Columbus and Cleveland. And you know, is into a quarterfinal here at his first ATP event of the year. That'll certainly help alleviate some of the stress he may have been feeling. And you look for Yoshi now. I mean, he's on the precipice of making a serious top 50 push. Nishioka currently sitting at number 34, a new career high in the live rankings for the 27-year-old. He really does not have a ton of points to defend through the first third of the season. Yes, he's got the challengers, but outside of that, a quarterfinal in Acapulco, a round of 32 in Miami and then you know no first round wins until he sit, gets back to the challenger tour in July there's a big opportunity here for Yoshihito Nishioka he could be seated come the French Open a surface where obviously he has typically had less success on but then he's really well positioned for the summer hardcore stretch a stretch where obviously he has many many points to defend but I think Yoshi Nishioka could be a top 50 guy throughout the course of this season, and he's been injured at many times in his career, put together a top 70 season, I suppose, back in 2019, but has never been a top 50 guy from start to finish. And you look for Nishioka, who's a fellow 95er, I think, yeah, you look for Yoshi Nishioka's nine days older than I am, so... Yeah, his career is going to resonate with me. I feel like this is a prime year for both Yoshihiro Nishioka and hopefully myself, um, who I did not refer to in third person there. Good censorship, Alex. Um, see how I snuck it in there? Anyways, you look for Nishioka. I think he's going to start the season inside the top 50. I think he's going to end it there as well. Certainly will have the opportunities from a math perspective, but Nishioka impressive in a straight set victory over Mackey. And then how about 2022 U.S. Open semifinalist Karen Hatchinoff, who still has not won a title since winning that Roland Gar excuse me, winning that Paris Masters title back in 2019. You look for Hatchinoff, straight set win, 4-2 over Jack Draper. Again, Karen Hatchinoff enters the year ranked number 20. You feel like, you know, turning 27 years old. Have we seen his ceiling? You know, is there still more potential to be tapped into for a guy who, on paper, 6-6, huge serve, forehand's a weapon, hits through the backhand more consistently than that forehand side, isn't uncomfortable volleying. On paper, Karen Hatchinoff screams, I can get back to the top 10. Will we see that actually manifest itself? Well, he probably needs to win a title if he's going to do that, and he hasn't won a title since, again, winning that Paris title, uh, that Paris Masters back in 2018, excuse me. So he's into a quarterfinal, going to be an all-Russian battle. He takes on 
Medvedev in the quarterfinals. With that said, those are the results we've seen thus far here, at least Tuesday night in the States in Adelaide. Some of the results we already saw unfold on Tuesday night, or excuse me, on Tuesday morning or Monday night, depending on where you live, uh, with some first-round results I know I touched on yesterday. Djokovic looked exceptional. Medvedev, the first-round win. Some guys I didn't talk about. Yannick Sinner, oh my gosh, was he excellent against Andre Rublev, uh, excuse me, against Kyle Edmund in a 3-2 and two victory. And I mean, you guys know my thoughts on Yannick Sinner. He is an unequivocal tier one guy for me. I think he will certainly have at least one Grand Slam title come the turn of the decade, if not many, many more. And he looked the part, looked healthy, was smoking the forehand and backhand. The sound that comes off his racket when he makes clean contact with the ball, it's in that Felix tier of just different than everything else. And so it was very encouraging to see him healthy. And again, I thought Edmund was hitting the ball big, Sinner just hit it bigger. Sinner moved well. He volleyed well. He served well. Three and two victory. Uh, you look at some of the other results. Seppi Korda, he just he gets faster every time I see him play. The hips that were a little stiff to start, it's like Tsitsipas. Korda has always been an exceptional athlete. It's just taken him some time to grow into his body. He certainly looked fluid, was hitting the first serve big, volleyed well, passed well. I think his slice has a little more knife to it as opposed to the drive it's been early in his career. An impressive 6-3 and three win for Sepi Korda, a guy I thought would end the tw- – I think, I should say, will end the 2023 season as the top-ranked American man. The other two notable wins, Shapovalov, 2-6-6-4-6-3 over friend of the program and former U.S. And see All-American Rinky Hijikata. And then RBA doing RBA things. He's the best of the lost generation. That rant I went on yesterday, I forgot to mention him, Carreño Busta. I think Bautista Gut's the most consistent of the bunch in RBA. Very impressive. Come from behind 4-6, 6-3, win. Rublev was actually up a set and a break. But again, RBA... The moment you think you've baited him into doing something you want him to do, he just does it better than you think he will, whether it's opening up courts inch by inch, hitting inside-out forehand after inside-out forehand, or that ability to hit the -the on-the-run forehand cross-court as well as he does. It really is a special shot. If the Tennis Hall of Fame had the GIF Hall that I talk about, the GIFs of some of the best shots in tennis history, the RBA on-the-run forehand, I'm not saying it's a first-ballot GIF Hall of Famer, but... It would be a sneaky fun nominee that I think upon repetitive viewing, you'd be like, oh yeah, this is a staple. This thing is juicy. Anyways, good win from RBA to advance uh, as over Rublev. And I mean, again, this Adelaide draw on the men's side loaded as well. You look at some of the perspective matchups. Yes, we've had some seeds knocked out, but I can get excited for a Sinner-Kokonakis matchup. And that little foursome of Sinner versus Kokonakis, Korda versus RBA, that's going to produce a fun quarterfinal. Now, Nishioka versus the winner of Giron Paparin, it's unexpected, but you need a little unexpectedness throughout the first week of any ATP season. Medvedev, Hatchinov, Popcorn, and the potential for a Shapovalov, Djokovic quarterfinal as well. Dennis's firepower is always compelling. And you feel like 2023 is a make-or-break season in terms of keeping Denis Shapovalov any sort of tier one talent perspective because obviously he has the physical talent. Can he put together a consistent 40-week run? You have to do that if you want to be a top 10 guy. He has yet to prove he is capable of that. We know he can be great in bursts. Can he do it for a month, for three months? 
again, a full ATP tour season. The older he gets, the bigger that question becomes. Certainly a good start for him with the three-set comfort behind win over Rinki Hijikata. With that said, that's your look at the men's side of Adelaide. Again, the fun thing is we've got countless other events happening around the globe. So with that in mind... Let's hop back to the WTA side of things and let's talk about what's happening at the event in Auckland again. Uh, it's a fun draw considering how much we've got going on elsewhere in the world. And, you know, players have been enjoyable. If you're a fan of American women's tennis, maybe it's been a tougher week for you in Auckland. You look at the results we've seen unfold. We saw second seed Sloane Stevens knocked out by Rebecca Masarova. It was Masarova's third top 50 win of her career, first since 2016 for the 23-year-old Spaniard. And again, for Masarova, three and six win over Stevens. Stevens served for the second set. Masarova just kind of wore her down, whether it be the flatness of her forehand, just giving Stevens fits. Stevens, again, just bouts of inconsistency that sadly we see continue to plague her over the course of the past year and a half. Great result for the qualifier, Masarova, who inches closer and closer to a top 100 debut. Masarova currently sitting following her win at number 129 in the live rankings. That's not correct. She is going to be up to number 124 now following her victory here today. Uh, That said, you know, again, she lost early. Obviously, you had uh, Madison Brangle losing early, which we discussed a little bit yesterday. Katie Volley, and that's the tough result against Venus. And, you know, that said, Bernarda Pera, the other one that I was missing. Uh, that said, it was slight bounce back day, I suppose, for the Americans. That starts probably with Sonia Kennan. Kennan, the 6-3 and three win to kick off her uh, 2023 season over Wang Xinyu. Again, Sonia Kennan, one of two former Australian Open champions in the women's draw this year. It's Kennan, it's Azarenka, that's it. And let's not forget, we're still less than two years removed or almost two years removed now from Sonia Kennan capturing the 2021 Australian, or was it the 2020? Wow, it was the 2020. That's how long ago it was uh, the 2020 Australian Open title, so almost three years removed from that. And despite that fact, Sonia Kennan, still just 24 years old, uh, currently sitting at 279 in the live rankings, obviously gets protected rankings, wild cards into big uh, many of the big events. If she won the title this week, Sonia Kennan would go from outside the top 250 uh, all the way up to number 135 in the WTA live rankings. So still some work to go to get her way back into the top 100. A big win, uh, certainly in match number one over the big hitting Wang Xinyu helps. But now we've got a barn burner as it's going to be Kennan versus Coco Goff in round number two here in Auckland. Goff in 82.5% favorite for what it's worth. By the way, just, I know, Wasaf, give me a fast forward soundtrack here, or rewind, excuse me, soundtrack here because I forgot to go through the Adelaide ATP tennis abstract draw. So rewind sound effect. Let's quickly look at the ATP draw for tennis abstract. The forecast that they offer, I should say, here for the action in Adelaide for what it's worth as of right now. Novak Djokovic, 41.6% favored, even though Daniil Medvedev's around ahead of him. They still view Djokovic with overwhelming confidence as the potential winner. Medvedev's next at 18.7. Sinner, 15.9. Then a big drop all the way to Yoshihito Nishioka at 6.6%. So, yeah. They say Djokovic, they say 
then a big drop, Medvedev, Sinner, big drop, rest of the field. Honestly, that feels about correct. All right, with that said, let's get a fast-forward sound effect. And let's get back to the action in Auckland. Again, you look at the has things have unfolded. Where is the draw at now? Certainly uh, some fun ones to keep your eyes on. Emma Raducanu, the impressive three-set victory over Linda Fruvertova, 4-6-6, 4-6-2 over the talented young Czech. Uh, the big thing for me was how fit Raducanu seemed to start the season, and that was something she struggled with with various injuries uh, throughout the course of last season. But she just seemed to clearly be the more experienced player, ready to play the two and a half hours in a way that the younger Fruvertova isn't quite out. It wasn't quite ready to do, and you know, again, what was equally impressive for Raducanu was her identifying, okay, enough of the nonsense. Linda Fruvertova's second service coming in at 70 miles per hour tops. I need to be inside the service line almost on my return of serve, certainly inside the baseline and taking that ball as an approach shot, moving forward behind it and just forcing Fruvertova to come up with the spectacular, which she was able to do. And boy, does Linda Fruvertova have some weapons from the baseline. But Raducanu was the more physical player. Raducanu was the more aggressive player early in rallies and Raducanu ultimately advancing with a much needed first win of the season for 6-6, 6-4, 6-2. Raducanu now uh, going to face qualifier Victoria Kuzmova in round number two. And again, plenty of fun stuff across the board, in my opinion, as you look at this Auckland draw. Yes, it doesn't quite have the flash of the WTA Adelaide event, but Goffers Kennan, second round affair, winner potentially a matchup with Venus Williams, who's the favorite, over Ju Lin of China, Radakanu still alive in the draw, Leila Fernandez still alive in the draw. There's a world where you have a 2021 U.S. Open final rematch in the final in Auckland should Radakanu and Fernandez each advance there. Plenty of fun storylines. For what it's worth, Goff, 33.9% favorite. Carolina Mukova, who came on strong at the end of last year, did uh, the multi-time, I believe, Sam Slam semifinalist. She's a 12.6% favorite to win the event. That's actually third. Raducanu second at 12.7. Mukova 12.6. Fernandez 10.4. So according to the numbers, Coco Goff, pretty comfortable, not significant, but comfortable favorite at the event in Auckland. Your final ATP event happening on the week, happening in India. Look, the big takeaway from the past two days, in my opinion, as you look at the action, has been how good Aslan Karatsev looked in his victory over Pablo Andahar, 6-1-6-3. Karatsev looked very much like his 2021 self. Just anything that was left short, he was ripping down the line for a winner. And he just seemed locked in from start of the match to the end in a way of, I need to pu- punish Pablo Endahar and I need to send a message that last year was an aberration. Last year was the exception, not the rule. And I'm more like the 2021 guy and will be more like that guy you all saw throughout the rest of his uh, at least high-level career. I mean, it was just smoking the ball. It was a fun set of replays to watch. You know, it was also nice to see Timmy Van Reithoven, who I keep in my mind thinking is 6'6", but he's like 6'1", 6'2", tops, and the firepower he's able to generate with ease. 
it's laughable how exceptional TVR looked in his 4-4 four four win over Radu Elbot just when he has time to swing through that one-handed backhand. Ryan Shane-esque, shout out to the UVA deep cut, and how well he's able to explode through the ball, the serve, the forehand. You know, he cleans up the plus one opportunities going, you know, plays big. In every rally, he would rather end a rally with a miss on his terms than be subject to the terms of his opponent and is comfortable volleying, comfortable moving forward, looks more comfortable moving on the surface with every passing repetition. Good start for a guy who will likely be a popular dark horse pick, depending on where he ends up in the draw to at least make the second week in Tim Van Reithoven. You know, that said, looking at the draw in India, have yet to see Marin Cilic get his tournament underway. The top seed earning a by a 30% favorite is Cilic, according to Tennis Abstract, to win the title after that. Second seed, Botic van de he starts his tournament against Flavio Caboli of Italy. He's 21.4%. Rusevori, 10.5%. Krajinovic, 10%. Uh, again, some fun middle-tier guys. Maybe pull off some first-round upsets. Sebi Baez, how good can he be on hard courts? That's something to watch. But Mo Krajinovic will be fun. You know, Obviously, we keep our eye on that Emil Rusevori matchup. But he's got a tricky one taking on the always tough out, the well-rounded Benjamin Bonsi. That is a fun round of 16 match to keep your eye on in India. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Last thing I want to talk about before we go is the action in the United Cup. And again, I got an Ega rant in me, if all of you listeners will bear with that. I know I did a long segment on Ega yesterday, and God knows we're going to be talking a lot about Ega throughout the course, not only of 2023, but probably the next decade. Look, what was so impressive about Ega's victory today, she cruised 2-6-2-3 love lead. She lost four points on serve through the course of her first set was just pummeling serve out wide to the Trevisan backhand, which is an extreme grip that forces Trevisan because of the heaviness of the Iga serve to leave that return of serve short. And then Iga was so effective in playing first strike tennis and putting that ball away efficiently through the course of the first, what, 11 games of the match and building that 6-2-3 love lead. But what was so impressive was how Trevisan managed to work her way back. And credit to the Italian coaching staff, the energy they brought point in, point out. It's what allowed Trevisan to continue to smile through that big scoreboard deficit. And it's what convinced her to start taking bigger cuts, to just swing freely whenever she got a look at any forehand in the rally. She continued to change directions on uh, Sviantec. It took her like I think it was 28 total minutes to hold her final three times in this match. But look, Iga, even in not playing well, Iga played well. And watching this match, which I called from start to finish, I wish I had the unforced error stat number in front of me, but Iga sprayed the backhand consistently throughout the course of that second set. And yet whenever she needed to buckle down, whether it was down love 30 in the final service game, facing break points in that final service game, facing break points at multiple times through the home stretch of that second set, 
whenever Iga needed to buckle down and just make that extra ball, come up with the ridiculous sliding backhand, come up with the easy big first return to just generate an attacking opportunity or an attacking sequence for herself. She found it whenever she needed it. And that's what players do. That's what top tier players do is when the talent deficit when there's a significant talent deficit, even when they're playing not playing their best, they just manage to find ways to win. And what consistently amazes me about Iga Sviantek is even when she's not playing her best, as she wasn't through all but about three sets of her run to the US Open title last year, she just has so many options at her disposal to find ways to win. The athleticism the weaponry, the heaviness of her serve. She had a kick serve at one point where, I mean, Trevisan's reaching for the sky in trying to return that serve. And no, Trevisan is not the tallest players, but she broke serve over 40% of the time last season and was, you know, I think she broke ego once, had like two break points throughout the course. Well, no, probably had more break points by the end of things, but broke ego once throughout the course of the match. Trevisan played her best hardcourt match, I think, of her career. And that second set is the film you show her, you know, the 29-year-old Italian time after time after time throughout the course of the season to say, hey, you have this level in you when you can play aggressive, free-swinging tennis. But it didn't matter. Iga went up 6-2-3, love, and you're just not going to overcome that deficit against a player with as many options as Iga Svantec has to, uh, with her. And, you know, again, Iga now 3-0 to start the season. Wins over Benticic, Putenceva, and Trevisan, all slightly different styles of players. Just a beautiful win for Iga and sets up a fascinating battle between Berrettini and Hercots. Obviously, uh, that battle going to happen as the match is tied between one all as Lorenzo Musetti cruised to a win over, I think it was Mikkel, I forget who played for Poland, but Musetti looked great. Uh, he's looked great in just about every match he's played during United Cup. That's a continuing trend from 2022. But, you know, again, fascinating battle between Berrettini and Hercots that given when I started recording that match is just getting underway. We will cover that if anything extraordinary happens on tomorrow's show. With that in mind, want to quickly talk about iron lung cam nori once more nori come from behind three set win over taylor fritz now nori wins the first set over taylor fritz and for what it's worth these two have played one another more than any other opponent in their careers fritz a six to five head-to-head advantage having into this uh heading into excuse me this battle but Look, ultimately it was Fritz. Uh, excuse me, it was Nori down a break, three-one in the second, uh, in the third set. Uh, ultimately comes back is the beneficiary of guessing correct on break point in his four in that four-all Fritz service game in the third set and guesses correctly, dips a forehand pass at Fritz's feet and gets a look at a second pass, which Fritz then flops a backhand volley long on, and then Nori holds out and. Look, he's iron lung cam Nori, and his ability to move the ball corner to corner, his ability to take that ball a little early, I think, uh, you know, just on the rise, just slightly different timing than you'd expect. I mentioned this yesterday. I'll say it again today. I think there's a little more sting on his forehand as well. I only value the extremes, and one of the starts last year we all noticed was the extreme disappointment for Nori, where I think he went 0-4 at ATP Cup. He's 3-0 with wins over Fritz, Nadal, and Demonauer to start this ATP Cup—excuse uh, me, to start this United Cup. 
that's the most impressive resume of any player right now on the ATP Tour. So shout out to Cam Norrie, who gets a very impressive win after Madison Keys continued her exceptional run that we've seen at this United Cup Keys, a come-from-behind three-set winner uh, over she faced, no, Katie Swan, not Harriet Dart. And the big adjustment that we saw from Madison Keys, who went up a break in the third, seeded the break back to Swan, who went up 4-3, then three straight games from Keys to close out the match. Sets two and three, she just gave up trying to hit to Katie Swan's backhand, said, nope, your forehand, which it's a bigger backswing for Swan. She hits that ball a little bit flatter. Uh, she just generated far more unforced errors off of the forehand than backhand wing, and Keys did an excellent excellent job of targeting that side and again Madison Keys undefeated in United Cup play so far you look for Keys now uh, again the three set victory uh, for her over uh, over Swan she's also earned the victories and I apologize tennis abstracts being a little bit difficult with me right now but you look at some of the results again she has been very very good has Madison Keys so I want to give her all the credit in the world I believe she's now 3-0 and in the results she's played and again you look at the results we've seen so far today. Jessica Pagula going to take on Harriet Dart. That one should be fun. Obviously, Team USA needs Pagula to win that. Uh, certainly, given the Dan Evans Tiafo match, feels like a toss up. Uh, the other results we've seen. George takes the second set against Tsitsipas, so I'll definitely be talking about that more tomorrow when I have a chance to watch it. But Donna Vekic looks great. Again, playing outstanding tennis. Uh, she played outstanding tennis to end 2022. Whatever that was clearly worked. Maybe it's the word she's now having with part-time coach Pam Shriver as well. But Vekic popped Papa Mikhail to in love uh, in their matchup. Uh, and now, again, that marchich soccer matchup going to matter that much more uh, as Team Greece down one love. And who knows what happens with Tsitsipas in that Chorich match. Certainly feels like a pick given I think Tsitsipas had match points. in. Uh, excuse me, is he leading in the second set? No, he had match points, but he loses the second set to George. So again, we'll talk about that one more tomorrow when I have the chance to actually watch the replays. But the only last thought I would have on United Cup is I don't really get the format. Like, I get the rubbers. I love that. You know, two singles, two... I wish they could play it all in one day, but two singles matches in a doubles match. Those are your five points. Each is worth one. Whichever team gets to three wins the event. Again, I don't mind the one-day battles where it's three total matches. Maybe you do one guys match, one women's match, and one mixed doubles match. Of course, then it's less opportunities for all these different players, and watching the opportunities for some of the players who would not otherwise get them has been part of the charm. But there were 18 total teams. There were six group winners, and then there are two second-place teams who get to advance to the quarterfinals or something as well. Like, I just don't get how we're deciding who the best team is. And maybe you just make it 16 teams. You make it a cleaner draw. You make it four groups of four. That makes more sense to me than whatever this 18-team format is now. And again, I'm all for more teams, more players. If you don't like 16 teams, try for 32 teams. But that feels a little extreme. And again, it's just like if I'm confused, I imagine everyone must be confused because it's my job to follow this every day. And it's not quite clear to me how they came up with who ultimately advances. The final thought I want to share with all of you listeners, and again, we're a little off topic here, slightly a changeover chat topic, but I tweeted this out last night, Donovan Mitchell, 71 points for the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's, you know, a top 10 single points individual game in NBA history. I think every sporting fan certainly 
that I have come across knows about Will Chamberlain scoring 100 points in a single NBA game. Kobe Bryant scoring 81 points. I remember when Peyton Manning lit up the Detroit Lions for, I believe, what at the time was a single game touchdown record during one Thanksgiving. All these different sports have these individual single uh, single game statistics that indicate individual greatness and indicate historical generational greatness. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, what is that equivalent in tennis? What do we have as a metric? Do we have a metric that indicates significant individual success in outlier or, you know, an outlier that indicates a significant performance that should be memorable? And certainly we have set scores. We have match scores. We all remember the five set battles, the five plus hour affairs. That's one individual fight one way we measure individual success, I suppose, as well. But, it's, you know, again, thinking about things, like when Isner fires off 27 aces, that doesn't feel as significant as Donovan Mitchell winning 71 points. When a player wins 6-love, six 6-love, six or 6-1, six 6-love, six yeah, that's an awesome individual performance, but sometimes matchups are just horrible. Sometimes the other guy doesn't, or gal, doesn't show up at the office. And, like, again, I don't think that's the equivalent I don't know if like winning nine over 95% of your first serves, like, yeah, that's something we all notice, but I still don't think it carries the significance of a 71-point individual game. I think in tennis, the only equivalent is winning streaks. Like, what do I equate to a 71-point game? How about the 37-match win streak Igor Svantec went on last year? That's individual greatness manifesting itself in a clear-cut example you know, Djokovic obviously winning three consecutive slams, making this final of the fourth back in 2021. That's a clear-cut example of individual greatness. But what's our 71-point equivalent? That's my topic I ask all of you mini-break listeners to end today's show. And, of course, if you have answers, at Al Gruskin, at Crack Rackets, please do let us know. With that said, I'll be back late tomorrow night or I suppose early morning next day to recap another exciting 24 hours of tennis. A shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the <laughs> job he does day in day out making all of our content possible here at Cracked Racket. Shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support. Remember it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said for the fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point for all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.